Welcome to the Everything Lafreniere podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, writer at the Leafs Nation. Nick, what do you think of the podcast name change here? Well, we'll see. I think there's a 12.5% chance of that being good, but a, a large chance that that won't be very uh, applicable. It's going to be quite the night uh, if they do win. I remember when the Matthews, I still remember where it was when, the, when they won the Matthews one. Um, obviously not expecting it, given 12.5, but should be fun. I'm just kind of hoping that it's not the Oilers or the Pens. But uh, tonight, today we are going to, we've got a, quite a bit to talk about here. We have a Game 5 loss. We have an overall series to recap. And then uh, just kind of the implications that come from this, uh, whether it be the offseason, trades, everything like that. Uh, Nick, let's start with Game 5. I know it, it wasn't pretty shutout, but what are your thoughts on their performance? Yeah, I thought it was pretty similar to the rest of the series. I thought Columbus sat back. They were very, very conservative. They didn't really jump any players up into the rush. They didn't really commit to anything offensively. They virtually said, we're going to sit back. We're going to defend. We're going to take away the dangerous scoring areas. And if we score, that's great. Then our plan is really can kind of be put into full swing. And if we don't, then that's okay. Luckily for them, they got a pretty, very lucky goal, I would say, uh, where Rensky just threw the puck on net, hit off Barry, and it went past Anderson. So, I mean, I think the Leafs were on, on, behind the eight ball early. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I thought, I thought obviously, Corpusala was great last night again. Uh, but I'm somewhere in between the Leafs not doing enough to generate enough dangerous scoring chances and you know I thought Corpusala was great and Columbus was also great at limiting them so you know I'm somewhere in between I'm not too far on either extreme here yeah I think as you said like Columbus gets a lucky goal early playing with a lead is just so important in this series because Columbus is so good defensively and so bad offensively uh, if you can get Columbus to push if you if you can get Columbus kind of on the offensive it felt like the Leafs could capitalize uh, but obviously wasn't the case in game, in game five. At least couldn't get anything going. We saw Makayev hit the crossbar on a tip. We saw Tavares hit the post. They had their chances. I think, you know, in most games, the Leafs outplayed them. Um, but overall, like, the Leafs just weren't getting enough going offensively. Uh, obviously, we saw some some changes early on. We saw the return of Andreas Janssen. We saw Nick Robertson out of the lineup. We saw a, a power line of uh, Tavares, Matthews, Neil, or Tavares, Matthews, Marner, rather. Um, so there's, there was quite a lot going on in this game. Tyson Berry got injured. They were down to uh, five defensemen, and two of those defensemen were Marinson and Cece. Um, so definitely an eventful game for a shutout. Like we saw a lot of things that we don't normally see. Um, just in terms of the series itself, Nick, what are your takeaways from this series? I know the lack of offense is probably the biggest one for me. Uh, they're shut out twice in five games. Uh, in game four, they were shut out right until they pulled the goalie. So, uh, obviously, not a lot of offense. What do you take away just from the series itself? Yeah, I guess going into the series, I had two major concerns, one for each team, both kind of stemming off the same thing. For Columbus, I think it was obvious that they were going to sit back and just defend, and they almost didn't care, like I said before, about how they were going to score. Um, so, one major concern I had with the Columbus was how were they going to score when they scored with 0 0 at 5 on 5? Uh, the way I thought of it, it was through three main um, kind of methods. And one would be on the forecheck. Um, and to the Leafs' credit, Columbus didn't get any goals at 5-on-5 five five off the forecheck. They did 
have a very good forecheck, but I thought the Leafs one did a pretty decent job on their breakout, and two, when they did when the breakout did uh, kind of collapse, they did a really good job of getting to the front of the net and um, stopping Columbus from getting any dangerous scoring chances off of it. Something that they really struggled in past years against Boston. So that's one thing. The next thing was on counters. Um, we knew that the Leafs were going to have a ton of offensive zone time, and they were going to pinch their demon. Now they did have some. You know, pretty bad pinches, um, which led to goals. The Dubois overtime goal comes to mind, but at zero zero, and and even when Columbus was trailing, like we didn't really see like too many of those that led to goals. So again, you know, kind of have to credit the Leafs there, um, or maybe they just got a little lucky there. But and the last one would be low percentage lucky goals, and you know when I look at this series, I think that's kind of where I think the difference was. Uh, you look at game one. Uh, the Atkinson goal, he's outside of the, or just at the hash marks, it squeezes through Anderson. Game three, it's a 3-1 game. Uh, Seth Jones from, you know, a pretty almost near the boards, roofs it over Anderson. It was a great shot. Uh, and then last night, Wierenski, the, fifth, the first goal, you know, throws the puck on net. It's not even a great shot. It hits off Tyson Berry's hand, goes past Anderson. And then obviously that Liam Foody goal, which, you know, he's almost at the goal line. And Anderson's on that side and it squeezes through. Now, like some of those goals are, I do think Anderson would probably want back. Some of it's bad luck. Um, so I think that's just the difference in the series, to be honest. In, in a, a series that had, you know, not many goals, the goals that do go in are just so important to momentum. And, and just in a five-game series in itself, it's going to really impact the result. Uh, on the Leaf side, I was concerned about, you know, kind of the same thing like would they be able to get into dangerous scoring uh, areas with how good Columbus is defensively and how dedicated dedicated they are to playing defense uh, one thing that I thought that the Leafs were going to be able to do was you know just based on their shooting talent and you have Matthews and Tavares and you know Marner Robertson Nealand you can go down the list of players that can score I thought that they were going to be a lot better at generating those scoring chances and B even if they didn't get to those dangerous areas, I thought that they were going to be able to score more low percentage shots, which obviously they, they shot just under 2% at 5-on-5, so it didn't happen. So, you know, I, I think Corpus Allo was obviously a big reason they won, but I think Columbus also was great defensively. But I, I just think that those low percentage shots that went in for Columbus and didn't for the Leafs, I think that's the difference at the end of the day. Yeah, I think, you know, a break or two could have definitely swung the series. Um, you know, I thought in game one they were kind of miserable. Columbus just found a way to play Blue Jackets hockey, like they did most of the series. Uh, I do credit Columbus for that, but again, the Leafs played at the Blue Jackets' pace for the majority of this series. And in a five-game series, you can't really come out flat in Game 1. Uh, I thought the Leafs really adjusted well in Game 2, stretching Columbus out, far more dangerous offensively. Leafs playing their pace now. Uh, it, it really looked like the Leafs had kind of turned the table there and, and were going to dictate the series. Uh, they kept that momentum into Game 3, uh, obviously, like there was a point there where Anderson had to let a goal in, in a game and a half. They're up three nothing. Uh, obviously, they blew that one, um, and and it just felt like you know we know what happened in game four. They were miserable for the first fifty five minutes. Miraculous comeback, but then they were miserable in game five again. Just uh, it, it felt like they were they were still trying to play defensive hockey. Like they were still trying to play uh, beat Columbus one nothing even when Columbus was up. Uh, the lineup was a bit of a mess. Uh, like it, it felt like that that power line did most of their damage at six on five in game four. Yet they stayed together. 
Um, never once in the regular season did we see that power line. Never once did we see Nylander at center. Uh, all of a sudden, the Leafs look like a one-line team. Uh, their opponent has a great shutdown line for them. You know, they did get some chances that top line, but uh, you're, you're certainly looking for more more scoring. And it just felt like there was a lack of scoring throughout the series. Uh, much of the focus is going to be on the on the highly paid guys. It's going to be on their star players, um, and rightfully so. But they also didn't get much secondary scoring. Robertson was the only goal from their bottom six. Uh, he was obviously scratched in game five. And then just on the back end, there was just a complete lack of offense on the back end, uh, which was a problem given that you know Columbus was collapsing. Like you had the big line, Marner, Matthews, Tavares, passing to CeCe, passing to Marinson, <laughs> and the puck just died on their stick. So I think the lack of offense in the bottom six, the lack of offense in, in, in the back end, that really stood out to me in a series that where the top six wasn't clicking on all cylinders. So I know the shooting percentage is is definitely uh, an excuse. I know it's it's something that, you know, I, I do think, you know, if the Leafs shoot, if the Leafs get some breaks, maybe they win the series. But I wouldn't say they were completely dominant in the series either. And I, I, I expected more, especially offensively from the Leafs, just in terms of generating chances, playing at a higher pace. Uh, it did feel like Columbus Blue Jackets hockey for much of the series. Yeah, definitely. I think that there definitely could have been more that the Leafs could have done. And and, you know, I've really credited Columbus throughout this whole series, especially defensively. Um, even going to the series, that just watching their games, uh, they they played just defensive hockey so well. They, they really don't give up much. But at the end of the day, you know, the Leafs offensively are supposed to be this team that's really good. And throughout this season, they have been really good offensively. So, you know, you expect them to be able to, you know, score on any team, regardless if it's the Bruins, whether it's Columbus, any of those top defensive teams in the league. So, you know, they definitely could have done more. How about, let's let's get into Game 5 here in terms of the lineup, because it was quite unusual. Um, I, I know if, like, if, if Mike Babcock's coaching this team, we'd probably see a different lineup. Some some maybe might be better than, than Keefe's lineup, some might be worse. Uh, it's kind of tough to tell. Uh, but it was a very weird lineup. I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, personally, it's not, I'm not saying like fire Keith or you know like Keith is responsible for this. Um, I just think there were some questionable decisions. What did you think of just the lineup in general in Game Five and versus what you would have done? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, uh, I treated this that yesterday, so I, I pretty much said the super line is generating a ton of high danger chances. You know, in hindsight, I, I'd probably take away the word a ton, but. Um, they also looked amazing when Riley and Dermott were their demon. You need one goal, and they can definitely get you that. And then I said, on the other hand, when they aren't on the ice, it's wasted minutes, and you only have 20 left. So that was actually at the end of second intermission. So I didn't really mind the Kerfoot line. I thought they were okay, but that Nylander line was brutal. Um, I really didn't like that line. I didn't think it really was just wasted minutes, and, and for the most part, they were pinned in their own end. Um but yeah, I just didn't think that that super line was doing enough to, you know, they, they were the obviously the best line, but I don't think they were doing enough to justify having those lines. I think the Leafs have the wingers, um, especially the left wingers this year. Um, they haven't really in the past, but I think the left wingers were really strong this year. And obviously they have the right, wing, right wingers to not only ice a team where or, or a lineup where you can split up both Tavares and Matthews. But not only is that balanced, but it's also potent. Like you have guys like Mikheyev and 
and Robertson and Hyman and Janssen even last night that on the left side, and then obviously you have Captain Martin or Nylander on the right side that like you can still generate a ton. You can still generate that goal. So I don't know why he kept it for so long. Like I would have liked to see him. I, I, you know, it's funny when we were talking about it after game four, we said, you know, there was little to no chance that they were going to go with that super line for the full 60 and they went with it. So um, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think even before last night's game, we would have rather preferred to see them split up the lines because I think that was just a, a lot more opti- optimal for uh, a team like Columbus. Yeah, with Keith, I will say too, I thought he kind of catered Tortorella's style too much. Uh, the Blue Jackets were perfectly happy playing low event hockey, and Keith went with Marinson over Sandin. He went with guys like Clifford and Engvall over Robertson in Game Five. Uh, it, it felt like, again, the Leafs were trying to win a one nothing hockey game, which I think just was went right into Columbus's strategy. Like that's exactly what they wanted. Um, my concern here is like if you think a Tavares Matthews Marner line is a good idea, if you think that's optimal, why didn't you do it once during the regular season? And then same with Nylander at center. Like this is. Keith wasn't the, the coach last playoffs, but this is the second straight season where Nylanders spent the whole year on the wing and then ended up at center all of a sudden in the playoffs. Like, if he's going to play center, if you think there's a chance, then let's see him at center against Detroit on a, on a random Saturday night in, in January. Like, let's get him some reps there, see what it looks like. Um, I don't like Kapanen. I don't, I don't like Kapanen with Marner or Nylander. I don't think they complement each other well. I think they're they're all there for zone entries and kind of the first pass once you get in. Uh, I think Kapanen struggled in the top six all year. So I thought that line was kind of doomed from the start. Um, if, if you are going to do that power line, like if Kadri's still here and you can come back on with a second line with Kadri and Nylander, then fine, that looks good to me. But uh, it, it just seemed like the Leafs didn't have enough scoring. Uh, when that line was off the ice, you were throwing... Uh, three lines that, that weren't really going to score. I would have liked to see Robertson in. Uh, I know, uh, and we'll get into Kyle Clifford in a second here, but I would have liked to see Robertson playing. I, I tweeted before the game that I would have scratched Clifford ahead of Robertson. I had my mentions were a mess just because you know everyone who loves grit out there at the you know tell me I was stupid, but Clifford barely <laughs> touched the ice in the third. I would have loved to have a guy that could score in the third period, um, and and we'll get into. I want to get into the off-season implications in a moment, um, but I, th- I think there's plenty of blame to go around here. I didn't like Keefe's lineup in Game 5. I think you can point to Dubas in some areas in terms of, you know, I, I think he lost the Kadri trade. Tyson Berry certainly did not work out very well. Um, you could also say, like, they still, they're playing Marinson. They're playing Cody Ceci on a playoff team. Like, I can point to Dubas there. Um, I can point to Shanahan in, in terms of, you know, did you did you fire Babcock too late? Um, because, you know, the Leafs are in this series for a reason. They weren't very good in the regular season either. So, Nick, what's your what's your thoughts on how this impacts the offseason? What type of changes do we expect? We know we're going to see some changes just given the cap, but uh, what, are, what are your thoughts heading into the offseason now? Yeah, I think you're going to see a ton of really hot takes online. Um, anytime you're going to lose, and, and especially from the crowd that you're going to see the, the dubious criticism no matter what. You're going to see the toughness criticism no matter what. And you're going to see the 
the Leafs suck at defense no matter what, especially when they lose. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, I think I saw a tweet of yours saying that, you know, defense wasn't the issue in this series. It was the offense. Now, you know, you don't, I definitely don't think that, you know, on any five game series that, you know, after any five game series, a team should look at the, the, the results of that five game series and make major changes, especially when it comes to the Leafs. I think they're heading into the good, the right direction. Um, but again, like Matthews is, Matthews is under 24, Marner's under 24, Nylander's 24. Uh, this team hasn't even, like Robertson hasn't even become a regular yet. Same with Sandine, same with Timothy Lilligren. So like their window is still like wide open. They do have some things they need to figure out, like Frederick Anderson's contract and Riley's contract. Like they still have players that they need to end with the flat cap. They need to somehow improve that um, the defense. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but like, I don't think you need to make major changes, especially with the, um, with the big four. Uh, I just don't think that's the direction that this team needs to take. So is there things that this team needs to learn from the roster, from the players to the management to, to everything? hundred percent. They do need to learn. And I think that's going to come from within rather than, you know, acquiring some sandpaper for the fourth line. Like, for example, like let's say another Kyle Clifford, um, that's going to all of a sudden solve their problems. You know, when they had Matt Martin on the fourth line, who was supposed to be the fighter that was going to make them tough, they lost, and it was the same criticism. When they got Jake Muzzin, a top four defenseman that had some sandpaper, and they lost last year, it was the same criticisms from that group. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind, that no matter how they lose, when you have Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares at the top of your lineup, it's always going to be, the criticism is always going to be, you know, we need to get away from scale and go into grit. But I, I do think they do probably need to be grittier and they need to start to compete. But I think that starts with those players and it's just something that they're going to develop as they get older. Okay, yeah, a few things here. So as you alluded to, um, I tweeted out, the, the problem in this series wasn't defense. The Leafs played fine defense for, for most of the series. The issue was scoring. So if, like... Some of the articles I'm reading out there are, are frankly kind of stupid right now, where it's saying, like, the Leafs have to trade a good forward for a good defenseman, and they're all of a sudden going to be, like, magically better. Like, are, are we just going to get worse offensively when we just got shut out two games out of five and nearly got shut out a third time? Like, that makes no sense to me. Um, and then the whole grid argument is kind of ridiculous as well, whether it's Clifford, whether it's Matt Martin. Like, I, I, I don't mind having a fighter. It's kind of nice. But... Don't tell me that you have to pay Kyle Clifford when he's playing less than four minutes in game one. I don't care what kind of style you play. If you're playing less than four minutes in a, in a playoff game, you're probably not worth paying. Uh, the other thing is, like, if you can't touch the ice when you're down a goal in the third, you're probably not worth paying. So those are the two things for me. Um, what I will say is that this team is going to change uh, for sure. Like, 100% is going to change because they can't afford all their players. They can't afford to bring this exact lineup back. We're going to see a change in defense. We're going to see a change. Like It's very unlikely that Tyson Berry returns. It's very unlikely that Cody Ceci returns. So you're going to see some, some changes there. Uh, even after that, you're probably going to have to trade at least one of Kapanen or, or Janssen to get under the cap, if not both. Um, so we're going to see some changes. Defensively, and the reason I'm less concerned with the defense is I do think they're going to improve. I think getting 
Sandine next season is going to be uh, a pretty good improvement. Uh, I think, you know, just not having CC and Barry, who, and Barry was pretty bad this year, I, I, I do see them improving back there, even if they don't do much. I, I, th I think that back end is going to take a step forward. We also saw some positive signs, whether it be that, I think in particular, that Muzzin Hall pairing this year um, was, was a big improvement on, on what they had previously. So, my concern is more or less, I don't think you can run this team back um, as an inferior version of themselves up front. Like, I, I don't think you can just say, okay, Robertson's going to replace Kapanen and, and all's going to be good. I think you need more depth scoring um, because there's far too many nights where the third line wasn't effective this year. Uh, there are far too many nights where, you know, the fourth line was a complete zero, like, we didn't get a goal out of the fourth line all series. I know they had a good game four, but you need a goal here or there if you're going to be winning hockey games. Um, so I, I do think that changes are needed. I would like to get uh, a good defenseman. I don't know if I'm, I'm willing to trade, you know, Marner for a defenseman one for one just to go from offense to defense. I don't think that's what it is. I do want to get heavier, but I want good heavy players. I want heavy players that you can put out there. When you're down a goal in the third, not heavy players that are there because they only fight. Not that I'm against fighting, but they need to be able to, to play when they're down a goal. If they have no offense to speak of, then I don't really, I'm not really interested. Uh, at least not in paying them. So I, I, I think we're going to see changes here. I think Kapanen is, is likely to go. Janssen's probably likely to go. I think they're going to consider trading Marner, at least consider some deals just the way his contract is structured. Um, but I, I don't think you can exactly run it back just with an inf inferior version of, of this year's team. Yeah, and um, I, I think they're going to make changes because, one, they have to because the flat cap, as you said. Um, you know, in that tweet when I was talking about major changes, I, I, I just don't think they have to trade the big four. And, and one big criticism I have of that, you know, trade Nylander for a defenseman uh, and that offense for defense or trade Marner for... A defenseman like when you look at the big four like we can start with Matthews obviously he's not going to get traded but he's one of the better defensive centers on the Leafs um, he's had a great year this year really de improved defensively Tavares another player who gets paid a lot and who's very important to this team he's very good defensively Mitch Marner had a very good year defensively Nylander probably the worst defensively out of those four players but in his own right very good neutral zone um, at, and he's very good at getting takeaways, and I think that there is, I think he's going to get def better defensively uh, in the coming season. So, like, the people who say trade one of those top four because it's an offense for defense trade, I don't really agree with that because a lot of those top four players are good defensively. Now, I feel like it's almost like people forget that, like, just because they're forwards doesn't mean that they don't play defense. You know, if, if a team ha doesn't have the puck, they pretty much have five defensemen. Everyone has to defend on the ice. So I think that, and, and I think those top four def, um, players on the Leafs are quite good defensively. We'll talk about Riley in the, in the future. I mean, in a, in a couple of minutes, I guess. But I think he's a player that, you know, despite being a defenseman, struggles defensively. So if anything, for me, if you want to make that offense for defense trade, it would be trading Morgan Riley. But I think we'll get into that a little later. Yeah, okay. So with the big four... I don't know, like, I think Tavares is just average at best defensively. Um, it's just because, mainly because of his lack of speed. But 
aside from that, when you say trade someone from the big four, for me, you're saying you're talking about trading Mitch Marner. There's zero chance of trading Austin Matthews. There's zero chance of trading John Tavares when he has a full no move. And then between Nylander and Marner, I don't see why you would trade Nylander when he makes six, I think it's 6.9 million. Yeah, it's a good contract. There's, there's no way, like, I don't see why you would possibly trade Nylander over Marner. There's just, I, I, I do think Marner's a little bit better, but he's not that much better. So I think the, the, the clear move, if you're trading one of the big four, is Mitch Marner. It's, it, it makes the most sense and by a mile. Um, and then the reason that you consider trading Mitch Marner is solely because of his contract. If, if, if Marner's making $7.5 right now, we're not having this conversation. It's just a, a no-doubter that you're keeping Mitch Marner. But because of how he's paid, uh, like he's not an $11 million player. Uh, his comparables do not make $11 million. So he is overpaid. Like I, I, I don't have much question about that at this point. Uh, I was, I just saw a tweet a, a little while ago saying uh, he has two even strength points in the last two playoff series, oh um, which is a big problem. Close to two hundred minutes of, of five on five ice time there. Um, the the issue, like there is a a route, like there is a Marner trade out there that makes sense because. For, for Marner, he's an $11 million player for the Leafs due to the cap hit, but he but he's a $7 million player for a team that doesn't care about the cap and cares about real dollars. Once the Leafs pay that bonus, he's only owed about $35 million over five years. So if, if you can find a deal that works, Brady Kachuk's a player I would seriously consider for Marner. I don't know if Ottawa would do it. Uh, I, I tweeted that out last night. Um, you know, like Arizona, Columbus, these sort of teams maybe... Like, I, I think Dubas has to at least consider it. I'm not giving away Marner for nothing, but he does have a, a huge cap hit, and you could possibly get better by, by moving him. So I'll, I'll consider a, a Marner deal. Um, and then after that, like, if, if we're assuming Marner stays, I, I'm looking at uh, more or less Kapanen and Yachtson. I would consider a Riley trade. I just think, given his cap hit, given that he makes just $5 million, um, and given how close, given the least cap situation, it's just a tricky deal to make. Um, it's it's going to be very few players that make sense to trade Riley, two years of Riley, for this player who makes $5 million or less and is just as good but more defensively focused, I guess. Like, it, it's a tough, there's not many players that fit the description. I'm not sure if, if Dubas can pull it off. Um, it's interesting, like, I'd at least consider it, especially after, you know, what's gone on in the last week, but... Um, I, I think the the first question Dubas has to address here is is going to be Mitch Marner. Yeah, potentially. I think it's a big trade, obviously, if, if Marner goes. I think I've said that in the past. Um, but I do want to talk about the lack of offense that the Leafs got from the defense. And that kind of brings us to Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry. Now, they're supposed to be, like, we know that they're, they struggle defensively. Um, I thought that that was apparent in this series, and it's been apparent all year. But... Like, they're both combined for zero even strength points in this series. How do you think they looked and in this series offensively? And do you think that their offensive kind of impact in regular season is more due to the players around them? Or do you think it's more than what it's what they're doing? So this is Riley Berry? This is Riley and Barry. Okay, so let's start with Barry. 
I thought Barry was atrocious this year. I watched him. I remember when they made the Codger trade. Obviously, the Leafs haven't had a right-shooting defenseman that can move the puck like Barry in quite some time. So that was exciting. Um, but he just wasn't good. He sucked under Babcock. He was playing like a different style. You know, Keith got him going a little bit offensively, but he was atrocious in his own end. Um, and the issue is you can't, you couldn't really play him with Riley because Riley needed more of a stay-at-home type. You couldn't really play him with Sandine because Sandine needed more of a stay-at-home type. And Barry ended up taking power play time away from Riley. Didn't really work out. Um, I thought Barry all year was pretty disappointing. Like for me, he's a third pairing defenseman. He's not someone I want to put in my in my top four. Um, so I thought he was very disappointing all year. Um, I'm ready to move on. Riley, on the other hand, he was very good last year. Like if you look at things like um, like goals above replacement, wins above replacement, his numbers are through the roof. Like he had a 72 point season. That's great. Um, he, I do think he's a legitimately good defenseman. A legitimately good puck mover, a guy that can really drive play in the right direction. He had that pass on the Tavares post, gave him a clear look. So I thought he was a bit quiet this series. I I did think he created the best chance for the Leafs in Game 5. But this is like, what, year 6, year 7 of trying to find Morgan Riley the right... Yeah, this is going to be year 8 coming up. Yeah, coming up year 8, yep. And we haven't found the right partner for him yet. So it's either... They have to find him the right partner, or they gotta, you know, change something up. Uh, it's a little bit ridiculous they haven't found him the right partner, and I think that's, you know, for, it's mostly on Lamorello. I think he had them the longest, especially when they were contending. But Dubis didn't get the right guy in Barry. I think that's clear. Uh, you know, maybe if the, you know, would T.J. Brody look better there? Maybe, probably. I like T.J. Brody. Um, obviously, Jankowski doesn't look very good right now, but. Uh, you know, I think this offseason, and it's going to be tough with such a tight cap, uh, if Riley's staying, I hope they have a partner that, that can solidify that top four. Is it Travis Dermott on his offside? I don't know. I do like Travis Dermott. Uh, but it feels like we need to figure out the Riley situation. And it also feels like with Muzzin, Dermott, and Sandine on the left side, there's at least a, like, a possibility that the Leafs move them just because of how strong they are on the left side already. And they're not going to get fair value for Dermot, I don't think, um, in a trade. So, you know, I'd at least consider it if the right deal is there. I just think it's a very tricky move to make. But I didn't think either player was all that good all season. Um, I, I, I do think that they need Riley back to himself next year. Uh, and, and Barry, for me, was just a huge disappointment. Yeah, it's, it's funny with Barry because I think you and I have argued about it before where um, I was a little higher on Barry. I thought that he... Well, before, anyways. Uh, I thought that he was obviously, you know, put in a wrong position when he was, uh, or wrong situation when Babcock was here. I thought he was really going to change under Keefe. Uh, it didn't really happen. And just in this playoffs especially, um, I guess I kind of opened my eyes towards him. Like, I, I just, even his breakouts, I thought he could only really do, um, you know, simple p- passes under pressure. I thought he struggled. Um, obviously, we know that in his own end, breaking up a cycle, he struggled defending in transition he struggled but just the things that he's supposed to be good at I just didn't think he was good at at all in the series um, things like offensive being in the offensive zone um, finding players in dangerous scoring areas I didn't think he was great at he doesn't have a great shot and most of the time he's just throwing pucks on net because uh, he can't find a better option so 
just the things he's supposed to be good at. I really didn't like Tyson Berry in the series. Um, and it kind of just made me question about how he's played all year. So when it comes to that, when, when it comes to Riley, I think that we're now, like you said, we're about to go into season eight with him. Um, he's about to be turning 26. His contract's about to be up. We have, uh, you said two more years, right? I don't have it. Two more, up, yeah. two, two, two more years of Riley. I think that you don't want to trade him. I mean, you don't want to sign him long-term when that contract's done. He's a player that, um, I wouldn't want to say depends on his foot speed, but a big asset to him is his foot speed. He's able to escape pressure when on the forecheck um, and on the breakouts. And I think that as that goes, I think that's going to really kind of limit him when he gets older. Um, and I think if you're ever going to trade him, it's it's going to have to be this offseason before so that there is a little bit of term for the, the team that's taking him. I think he's one of the best contracts on the team, don't get me wrong, because of just how much, just the, the impact he makes for the team overall. But when you have Muzzin, you have Sandin, you have Dermot, and then you just signed Miko Lettinen, you have enough left-sided defensemen that you can still ice a really good left side. And if you can get that right hand, I know it's going to be hard, but if you can get that right-handed guy that is defensively sound um, on a good contract, it's tough, but if you can get that, and I think Riley can get that type of player. I think he still has a very good rep around the league, um, has that leadership rep. And like you said, overall, his impact is very good with a good contract. I think that he is going to get a pretty good package back or a pretty good player back. But I think you made a good point. For me, it de- now it depends on if you can't find him a good partner this offseason, then you really have to consider trading him. Yeah, I think you know another possibility... As I alluded to, it's it's tough to trade him and get someone back who makes less than him or equal to that's just as good. Um, but what you could do is is like maybe you trade him for a forward, um, and then you use the cap space, like a forward that would replace someone like Kapan and someone like Janssen, and then you use the cap space to go out and get a free agent. I don't think you're going to get Petrangelo, certainly not for that amount of money, but like Maybe you go and get a TJ Brody. Maybe you go and get, uh, I think, bronze a free agent. Um, you know, you can kind of go down the list here. Maybe there's, you can find someone that makes sense. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, another guy would be Mackenzie Weger. Like, would you trade him for Weger one for one? I don't know. Maybe you can get something else from Florida in that deal. Um, but it is it is interesting. Uh, I do think that having the nice top pair, Muzzin Hall, is, is a good start. Uh, if you have Sandine on pair two, Dermot on pair three, I'm pretty happy with the left side. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe it's something to consider if you can get a, a, a haul for Riley. Um, I guess my my approach is I'm open to, to deals for Marner and Riley. Um, I think Riley will be tricky. I think Marner, you just have to make sure you're getting a heck of a deal because it's such a big deal. Um, you can't really lose the the Marner trade. So uh, I think I can see a deal that makes sense for Marner. I can see a deal that makes sense for Riley. I can't really see a deal that makes sense for someone like Nylander, for example. Right. The other guys I'm looking at in, in terms of trade up front, uh, I think I think Kapanen and Janssen are, are the big ones. I would like to get heavier up front, but guys that can score. I think Janssen's actually pretty heavy. Um, if you can keep him, I love to keep him. Kapanen for me was really frustrating this year. Um, I don't think he can really play in the top six because he doesn't complement Nylander and, and Marner. 
just seems like a third-line player who is almost all individual offense in terms of just breakaway goals and penalty killing. Uh, I don't like him on the power play. I don't like him once the, you know, the cycle's going in the offensive zone. Um, so I, I'd be looking to move him uh, if you need to, if you need the cap space, for someone on an entry-level contract, like a, a almost like a Jordan Takairu type, someone that might end up like Kapanen but makes far less. I think you're going to have to look at deals like that. The other guy is Ilya Mikhaev. I don't know how much he's going to get paid, but he went pointless in this series, and it felt like he deserved to go pointless in this series. I know he looked good in the scrimmages, but I, I'm not really all in on his offensive game. Uh, I thought, and we I know we talked about this last podcast, Hyman and Mikhaev got kind of outmatched physically against Columbus's bigger defenders. Uh, Mikhaev, for me, is more of a third-line player just with his offense. I like his defensive game, um, but I'm not really willing to pay him more than $2 million. So if, if it's going to... You know, I'm kind of worried about overpaying him here, and if he's if he's got big contract demands, I, I might look to flip him. Yeah, I was really disappointed with Mikheyev. I thought that he just, you know, he had so much hype going into it with the camp and winning the MVP and and everyone tweeting about him. And then, yeah, he he was really underwhelming. Um, I thought I thought Hyman was underwhelming a little bit, but he has the track record of just having really good impact, and and he was. He at least had an impact on this series. Like he was a part of some big events. I just don't remember Mikhaev at all. So um, I would agree. Like I, I just, I think that's going to be a tricky um, contract negotiation. Um, I think it's a big one for Dubis. Uh, just considering, like, it just seems like he and Mikhaev have a really good relationship. Like when he got injured, Dubis was there. Not sure how much that really matters in the in the negotiation, but just seems like Mikhaev's really liked the Leafs organization in general. So you really do expect, and just based on his playoff performance and the injuries and everything, you just expect Dubas to win this negotiation. Um, so I think it's a big one. It's it's, but I, I think he is probably like a third liner with a little bit of upside to be a, a second line left winger. Uh, with Robertson coming up, you know I. I do you expect him to be in the top six in the near future? Um, and, and just judging how much he's improved over you know the past year, if he can do that same thing in another year, then we could be talking about him being in the top nine next year. So he definitely, Mikhaev definitely has a lot of competition going forward. So uh, I guess we'll see with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, I'd like to have one more good forward, someone that's a, a like legitimate second line type preferably on the left side, that can play a bit heavy. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking for. It's going to be tough to get given the cap situation, but uh, I, I, if you can trade a cap and Janssen for someone like that, um, even Janssen himself might be that player if he's healthy and you can afford him. Um, I guess the last the last player I want to talk about, Nick, is, is Frederick Anderson. Uh, he's got one year left at $5 million. Uh, I think heading into Game 7 especially, there's talk about like through the media um in, in regards to his ability to win the big game he hasn't been good in games in elimination games or against game sevens in this case of game five um he had a bit of a down year for me i think he's back i thought he was fine this playoffs um and he's just had the one down year he makes five million i guess give me a percentage here in terms of uh the odds that anderson is on the team next year I'll go 60. I think that after, um, I think that's probably lower than a lot of people, um, I guess depending on who you talk to. But 
for me, this is probably the most controversial I'll get. I think with Anderson, I think with goalies anytime, it's always good to judge them based on big sample sizes. Um, I'm not really huge on just looking at his game sevens and and the game five from last night and saying, well, he's not good in elimination games, let's trade him. But when it comes to Anderson, I don't think he's been... You also have to consider the contract. Like you said, he has one more year at $5 million, and then what are you going to do with him? Um, yeah. He's going to be... Let me look it up right here. How old is he going to be? I believe he's 30. Let me look. He's 30, yeah. Right. He's already 30. So at the end of that, he's going to be around 31. Usually you see you know, goalies decline by then. So, you know, when I look at this... Last year, when he had a, a rough playoff series, or even two years ago, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because of how good he was during the regular season. Same thing with last year. He was very good in the regular season, had a rough playoffs. And then this year, he wasn't very good this year. I think that um, he had a really down year. And then in the playoffs, you know, you can look at the save percentage for for him and, you know, maybe it looks okay. But you, I just think you need to look at the whole picture. One, you're playing Columbus. This is a team that's a bottom five offensive team during the year um, at even strength. Two, you know, when you have such a short series, you can almost just look at the actual events that occurred. The Leafs kept Columbus to the outside. There was a lot of low percentage chances. They didn't really get to the high danger areas. So I'm almost looking at Anderson like you got to be making some of those saves. Like I look at that game one, Atkinson shot... I know they talked about the way his release was, but that needs to be stopped, especially in a game that's low scoring and your team needs that save because they're struggling to score against a very good defensive team. Last night, the Rensky goal, you can't blame him. But the Liam Foody goal, like that, I, I just don't think that's acceptable. Um, I know that people were blaming Marinson on the way that he played that 2-1-1 and maybe it gets passed, but you know Anderson's in position. He lets in a goal exactly like that last year in Game 7. Um, so... You know, I, I don't. I'm not only looking at it from an elimination game standpoint, just in the whole picture, especially considering there are some good goalies or, or you know decent to good goalies that are on the market this off season. I think that one of the biggest moves that the Leafs could look into and should look into is moving on from Anderson this summer. Yeah, I'm kind of skeptical that they'll be able to pull it off. I think Anderson's like a top what 15 goalie or so. Uh, I would say so. You know, I'm open to it if you can get. If you can get a, a good trade for a goalie or, or somehow get a good deal for one, uh, it is a pretty high-risk move if you do this and it doesn't work out. Um, like, if, if your goalies are putting up 900 save percentages, you know, that might be it for Dubas, honestly. Like, um, So I, I do think that GMs tend to be conservative in terms of goalie moves. I do expect that to happen. So I'm going to say about 80% that Anderson's back. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of nitpick him in, in some of the bigger games here, but... I do think he's he's probably about a top 15 goalie or so, and I'm not sure uh, if you're going to be able to get better and, and under the cap all in one. So um, we're not too far off, just 20% difference there. Um, I guess a little bit. Yeah, it's a t- I think it's a tough topic, though, because you know, like, I think we're both rooting for Anderson. Uh, seems like a good guy. He gets along with everyone in the locker room. He's been here for a while. Uh, and, he, and you know we've seen a huge sample of him being really, really good for the Leafs and almost their savior, so... Um, you know, I was really rooting for him yesterday, but uh, that foodie goal just took the—I think that took the life out of the team and took the life out of B for it for uh, for him. Yeah. So let's get into uh, 
one last thing here before I get out of here, Nick. We have a big lottery tonight. <laughs> um, six o'clock. Twelve point five percent for each team. I want to know what's your pick. Not who you want. Who who do you see winning? I need you to be a bit of a fortune teller here, Nick. Uh, I, I believe you went to school for fortune telling, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I, I need to know. Let us know. Let us know who's going to win it tonight. Um, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I think that really? there's a what cool. is it, 37 or 38 percent chance that Lafreniere plays with either McDavid, Crosby, or Matthews next year. So it's nuts. I want the the one that's going to cause the most chaos, which probably is Toronto. But from a from like a, a media standpoint and like a fan perspective standpoint, but from just a success standpoint, I want to see Lafreniere play with either Malkin or Crosby next year. So I think they're going to win. I think it would be fun, especially because Lafreniere plays for Muski and so did Crosby. So oh. you know, it'd be kind of like a cool little, it'd be a cool little connection there. Um, both. You know, first overall picks, they complement each other well. It'd be it'd be cool. Um, I obviously Edmonton would be the worst. I do not like. We've seen them win enough draft lotteries. The Leafs would be fine. I know everyone would be mad. That's not a Leafs fan, but they would be fun for for us. Uh, I'm gonna predict that it is going to be the most boring option possible. Don't say Minnesota. That's, that's Minnesota. Oh my god, no. <laughs> I think I think we're gonna be let down. I'm just used to being let down these days by, by the NHL, whether it's the Leafs <laughs> losing, whether it's the Leafs losing, or you know the draft lottery. But you know, hopefully, we're gonna have to do an emergency pod if uh, if they get them. That's what I was thinking. There's a 12.5 chance that we have a podcast tomorrow, <laughs> so wow. may the odds be in our favor. Yeah, that's the big win. If they get an extra podcast out of us, our viewers are definitely thinking to themselves. Yeah, they're, that's what they're hoping for. So most Leafs fans are thinking. Perfect. All right, well, hopefully we'll see everybody tomorrow after the Leafs win the lottery. But if not, uh, we'll see everybody soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>